0: where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 145, Turkey Hunting Solo. And I am your host, and the guy who actually did this past weekend get on the lake to do some fishing, but I actually didn't fish because once I got my boat down off of the boat lift for the first time this whole year, I realized that the wires to the trolling motor had corroded all the way through and the trolling motor was not working. So I spent the hour that I had to fish splicing the wires together because of course there was not any slack for me to work with and I was working in a very tight area but I'm closer now and weather permitting this weekend I will be on the lake fishing rod in hand hopefully a cold adult beverage in the cooler with a few small largemouth bass in the cooler as well to bring home for dinner. Almost all of my to-do list is done now so I now have the hottest part of the summer and the whole fall coming up to enjoy some bass fishing. So I'm looking forward to that. So today we are 224 days, 8 hours, 21 minutes, and 0 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. 224 days. Getting closer. And we're roughly 3 weeks away from kickoff. Of the first football, college football game of the year. And that's pretty exciting as well. So today I want to discuss a topic that was suggested by David from New Hampshire. David sent in a suggestion for a show on turkey hunting solo back in January. And when I saw the suggestion I thought that's a great idea for a show. But I wondered if the topic was big enough meaning I wondered if it had enough content or substance for me to cover it in an entire episode of the show. But I just wondered if there was enough content for me to be able to spend at least 20 to 30 minutes discussing it. So over the past three months or so, I kept coming back to this topic because I liked the suggestion, but I just couldn't make it work in my head. My feeble, little, bald, peanut-shaped head. (laughs) That is, I couldn't make it work until I went back in my mind to the days when I was first learning and getting into turkey hunting. And I got to thinking about how I had a couple of hunting buddies that had spent the previous three or four springs turkey hunting while I spent those same three or four springs finishing my degree in college and starting my professional career. And I got to thinking back to how I would go in the woods at the time before daylight and make one or two mistakes before I ever saw dawn's crack. And I thought about how I would continue making mistakes through the early dawn until late morning when I would trudge back to camp with my bottom lip poked out, all the while thinking that if I had one of those two hunting buddies with me, that we would have killed a bird or two that morning. And when I started thinking about this topic like a turkey hunter who is relatively new to the sport instead of like one who has been hunting turkeys for over 20 years and 70 to 80% of the time hunting them by himself, I figured it out. I figured out that there's plenty of content to cover on solo turkey hunting to do a 20 to 30 minute episode. So here we go. First up, I can't leave this out, is safety. I will kick myself in the rear end if I don't talk about this first because it is the number one thing that we turkey hunters need to keep in the back of our minds at all times. Turkey hunting is one of the most unsafe forms of hunting in my opinion, but it is by far not the most unsafe thing that we do in a day. If you think about that 1,500 to 2,000 pound machine that we take to and from work, the store, church, school, etc. And think about how safe you are while you are in it. Buckled up, driving the speed limit, not texting and driving, obeying all the traffic laws. And now think about how none of that matters when the person in the vehicle next to you on the interstate is doing none of the things that you are doing. They're doing the opposite. Turkey hunting is much safer than that. But nonetheless, we must keep safety in the back of our minds before and during the time that we're in the turkey woods solo. It's especially important solo because we don't have that other person in the woods with us to help us if something goes wrong. If you'll remember I did an entire episode on turkey hunting safety not terribly long ago so I'm not going to get too deep into it again today. But I do want all of us to go back and listen to episode number 130 again, especially before we take to the fall turkey woods very soon. However, I do want to touch on a couple of things about safety and solo turkey hunting. First, when hunting solo, we need to make sure that someone knows roughly where we're hunting. If you're like me and you have several different hunting properties, then we need to let someone know at the very least which property we'll be hunting that day. If we're hunting a large parcel, then we can drop a pin on Google Maps before we get out of our vehicle and send that to our spouse, a family member, a good friend, whoever it may be, even a coworker. And this is extra important if we have any sort of medical condition. And now I actually just thought of this when I mentioned that about having some sort of a medical condition and taking extra care. And I thought of my dad when I said that. My dad about 10 years ago had bypass surgery. He had one artery that had two blockages in it. One of the blockages was 80% and the other was 90%. And they actually had to do a bypass. They couldn't put stents in. After that surgery, my brother and I, who hunt with my dad, and one of our really good friends, Rocco, have been very careful and made extra sure that we check up on my dad when he's in the woods. He normally doesn't hunt alone. He doesn't deer hunt alone. My dad does not turkey hunt. But one of the things that we did was we bought him a whistle. Now, I'm going to guess I don't know this to be a fact. I've never had a heart attack, but I'm going to guess that if you're having a heart attack, finding the air to blow a whistle may be a little difficult. But it got me thinking that really we probably all should have a whistle in our vest, some sort of a safety whistle in our vest that we can use if something were to happen. And think about it you walk around in the woods in the dark and You step on a snake who's not real happy about that or you step in a stump hole and hurt your knee, hurt your ankle, break your leg, you slip on rocks coming down a hill and you fall and you hurt yourself. Having a whistle may be the difference in you having to crawl a mile or two back to your vehicle to drive yourself to the doctor or hospital for help or being able to summon someone to come and get you should you not have cell coverage. And that's another thing. We need to keep our cell phones with us. If your hunting lands are like mine, cell coverage is spotty at best, and having that whistle can be what we need to draw attention to ourselves and get some help where we are. So I'm in no way affiliated with this company, but they seem to have a pretty good product. So go check out stormwhistles.com. S-T-O-R-M-W-H-I-S-T-L-E-S They claim to have the loudest whistle on the market. I'll be buying two of those very soon. One to go in my turkey vest and one for my wife as a safety measure. So the second safety thing that we need to think about when hunting solo is that we should always ask ourselves this one question before we do anything. What is the worst thing that can happen to me if or when I do blank, whatever that action is that you're thinking about, whether that's crossing a fence or crossing a creek, climbing down a steep embankment, whatever it happens to be. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen to me if or when I do this? If you don't like the answer to the question, don't do what you are considering doing. Now, if you're willing to accept the worst case outcome and there is zero chance of hurting someone else in the process, then, well, we're all adults here. That's your decision. Okay, not to belabor the point today. When turkey hunting solo, we just need to be smart and safe when in the woods. Now, there are some tricks to the act of turkey hunting solo that can help our chances of success, and I want to talk about a few of those now. David from New Hampshire asked specifically about setting up properly and knowing when to switch from the call to the shotgun. So I want to cover those two things before I forget. First, setting up properly. All right, this is important no matter if we're hunting solo or with someone else. In my opinion, about 90% of whether or not we'll be successful on a hunt is determined by our setup. Properly setting up on a turkey is a show topic in and of itself and I actually covered that topic with Will Primos but the show did not record. My primary recorder and my backup recorder both failed during that interview so I don't have that. My intentions are to get Will back on the show to cover that topic again and bring that to you before the coming spring season But right now, I think there are a few things that we should keep in mind when setting up on a turkey to hunt him. We should use the terrain and foliage to get as close to that gobbling turkey as possible without spooking him. So, how close is as close as possible? Well, get as close as you think you can get without spooking that turkey. And then move one tree closer you'll be amazed at what that 5 yards or 10 yards will do to your success rate. That right there was a huge game changer for me, learning that one little tip. Next, set up on a tree that has a little cover in front of it, more cover beside it, and if possible, even more cover behind it, and preferably a tree wider than our shoulders. Now the cover in front of the tree is something that we need to be very aware of. We need to be cautious that the cover in front of us does not impede the movement of our guns when we need to swing the gun for a shot. So we need to make sure that there are no vines in front of us, that the gun barrel can get hung on, and there are no saplings in front of us that the gun barrel can get hung on. So that's something that we need to keep in mind when we get set up. Since I'm going to see if I can get Will back on the show to let me record him on this topic again, I'm going to leave this topic at that, as I think we have enough info for us to think about now while we're setting up on a hunt. The next thing David asked specifically about was knowing when to switch from the call to the shotgun, and I think we often make this decision more difficult than we need to especially when we watch a lot of turkey hunting shows on TV or on YouTube, and here's why. In those shows, we see the 5 to 22 minute edited version of an hour-long turkey hunt, where there is a great focus on the part of the hunt that we get to see on helping sell a sponsor's turkey collars or decoys or camo instead of teaching us the viewers, what worked during that hunt and why. So I was fortunate enough when I began turkey hunting to have shared the hunting camp with a man named O.T. Miller. And O.T. is a good hunter and specifically a good turkey hunter. O.T. came from the old school of turkey hunting where less is best. And he shared something with me that has helped me in many of my turkey hunts. He told me this, when you call And that gobbler responds to your calling. Put your turkey collar down and don't pick it up again. Now, I've had to modify that tactic over my years of turkey hunting to make this strategy more effective for me. But to sum it up in one sentence, here it is. When you have confirmed in your mind that gobbler has acknowledged or gobbled to your calling and that he's getting closer to you, then put your collar down. Your turkey collar at that point in time has done all it needed to do. Get your shotgun to your shoulder, on your knee, which by the way it should have been there already, and have it pointed in the direction that you believe that the turkey will approach from. If that gobbler hangs up, then there's a good chance that we've set up in the wrong spot as we should have thought about any potential hangups before we ever sat down to call from that spot in the first place. So at that point, we can choose to either try to coax that Tom across, over, through, or around, whatever it is that's hanging him up, or we can slip out of the area, away from the gobbler, and approach him from a different direction and try again. Typically, he'll let us know if he's hung up by gobbling from the same spot over a period of 15 minutes to 2 hours. But I want to tell you that if a turkey's gobbling from the same spot for 15 minutes, you probably want to wait him out before you decide to back out and try to come at him from a different direction. But here's the trick. I can't tell you how long you should wait. Remember, I had a rule a long time ago of... Once I sat down and I called, I would not move for 60 minutes. I would not get up and reposition for 60 minutes. It worked quite often for me. I have abandoned that rule since for no particular reason other than I'm probably just getting more impatient in my old age. But it worked for me. It helped me kill a lot of turkeys. Now, one other modification that I've made to O.T. Miller's advice is this. When I call and that Tom responds then I'll hit that caller again a lot more aggressively to try to get him fired up a little more so he doesn't get disinterested after I put the caller down. All you guys listening, think back to your single days and imagine you were talking to a woman on the phone and she said, I'd like to see you this evening. Then you reply back and say with excitement, I'd really like to see you too. And then she says nothing. What are your thoughts at that point? We're likely going to say, can you hear me? And if we get no response, like that gobbler is going to get when we put that turkey call down, then likely we're going to cuss our cell provider and hang up the phone. Now imagine instead of hearing no response after you tell her, I'd really like to see you too. Now imagine you hear her say in a very excited tone how she would really like to see you this evening. Then you have to admit, that you would probably get a little fired up yourself and figure out some way to get over there to see her this evening, even if you had to walk. In my human mind, that always tries to think like a turkey. That is the effect that I see an immediate excited call in response to a Tom's gobble doing to him. I can't tell you how many turkeys I've killed where that is all the calling I've done. I sat down, I called, he responded, I called excitedly, he responded, I put the call down, and in minutes, he's standing in front of me at 30 to 40 yards. So try that out. That should help you when you're hunting solo to know when to put the caller down and pick up the shotgun. So call if he gobbles, call immediately and a little more excitedly in response to his gobble, and put the collar down. Eight times out of ten, he'll respond to your excited calling, and if he has no hens with him, then there's a very good chance that he's coming to say hello. And if we'll use that strategy to know when to switch from collar to gun, then we will kill many more turkeys than we will spook by making that switch after we've made visual contact with the gobbler that has been responding to us. Now, there will be times when we get caught unprepared. It is going to happen. It is just going to happen to us. Perhaps there's another non-gobbling tom between us and the gobbling bird, a subordinate bird that's there. And the non-gobbling tom comes right in before we are convinced that the gobbling bird is making his approach. And if that happens, we're going to get caught with a turkey collar in our hand. Now we have some choices at that point. We can try to wait until that approaching silent tom steps behind a tree, drop our collar, and position our gun for a shot. And that's fairly risky, but really all of our options at that point are risky. We can also try to quick draw the tom and run the risk of missing him while he's running or flying away. Or we can slowly and methodically drop the collar And move our arms and gun into position by keeping our hands and our arms as close to our body as possible while we move. And again, remember I said slowly and methodically move. We can help ourselves in these situations by always, always, always having our gun rested on our knee instead of sitting the gun in our laps. Now, if you don't have one of these then I highly recommend buying and using a Hunter Specialty Knee Gun Rest. You can pick this thing up for under $10. And all it is is a camouflage-covered piece of foam with a nylon webbing strap attached to either side of it. That strap straps around our leg. That camouflage foam is moved up onto our kneecap, and the gun rests there. It provides us with enough padding to keep our leg from falling asleep with the gun sitting on it. And it also will help to hold the gun in position while we work a turkey collar by hand. I'm telling you, it's one of the best $10 investments that I have ever made in my turkey hunting career. I can't tell you how much I recommend one of those. Now, sometimes when hunting solo, we have to get creative with our hunting strategies, and I can't give you any hard and fast strategy on this to use because it's all about being creative and experimenting with new ideas when the opportunities present themselves. For example, and I've told this story before, I believe it was on episode number 100, one morning I set up on a food plot because there was zero gobbling going on that morning. The woods were quiet, even while the turkeys were on the roost, there was no gobbling. So I parked my rear end in an area where I knew there were gobblers, and I sat there, and I waited. And I called sporadically, not much, because there was just not a lot of turkey sounds in the woods. But after sitting there for about 30 minutes, I heard a turkey gobble about 250 yards away. And because my hearing's not real good, I knew where the turkey was, but I couldn't exactly pinpoint where he was or how far away he was. So I sat there and he gobbled again and he was louder. So I knew that I didn't need to go anywhere. He was coming in my direction. After 10 or 15 minutes, I see a gobbler approach the food plot from the road that comes into the food plot on the other end. And this turkey's about 150 yards away from me. Now, he can see in this food plot very well once he walks up the road and is standing on the edge of the food plot. And he knows that there is no hen in this food plot where he heard a hen calling because I don't have a decoy out. Remember, I rarely use decoys. This is a time when I think a decoy probably could have helped me. But had I had a decoy out, then this wouldn't have happened. So I sat there and I watched and waited and tried to figure out what that gobbler was going to do. And he walked off, but he didn't walk off the direction he came from. He continued in the direction that he was headed before he took the little turn to walk up the road to come to the food plot where I was. So once he got to a point where I figured he would be out of sight and I wouldn't spook him, I got up and I went to the end of the food plot where he walked up to the edge of it and I sat down and I called and he answered me and he was about 150 yards away and I waited and I waited and I waited never saw him and then all of a sudden he gobbled again and he was about 50 yards away from me and I waited again and he never showed and he gobbled again and he was about 150 yards away from me again So I got up and I closed the gap again and I walked about 75 yards and I sat down and I called and he answered. And he was about 125 yards away. He should have only been about 75 yards away. Remember, he was 150 yards. I cut the distance by 75 yards. So he should have only been 75 yards away from me, but he was walking away from me. And at that point in time, he was about 125 yards away. So I just sat there and I waited. The next time he gobbled, he was about 70 or 75 yards away from me. He'd come in closer. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to show himself any time now, and I'll get an opportunity to take a shot. But instead, he gobbled again, and he was going away from me again. This time he's probably 150 yards away. So I get up, close the distance again, and I sit down, and I call. The exact same thing happened again. He would only come part of the way into me. And then he would turn around, and he would walk off. And he would gobble again and let me know that he was walking away. So after the fourth time that happened, I figured him out. And I thought, all right, I'm going to try something. I'm going to cut the distance about halfway to him. And I'm going to call. And then I'm going straight to him. So I did just that. I called and he answered. And he was about 150 yards away. And that's when I... I cut the distance to him again and I went straight to him and I got about 75 or 80 yards closer to him and I ducked off the road and I sat down and it was not three minutes before he topped the hill, gobbled, stood there, and I busted him at about 25 steps. If I had had another hunter with me that day, if I'd had a hunting buddy with me, I would have had my hunting buddy get closer to that turkey and I would have stayed back and called, and we probably would have killed that turkey that way. When you're hunting solo, you have to be creative, and you have to do some things that sometimes are a little unconventional, like calling from point A and then getting very quickly 75, 80 yards closer to that turkey that's been gobbling and then sitting down and waiting on him to come in to you. Since I didn't have a partner that day, I made the best and the most out of the hand that I was dealt by that turkey. And that's what I'm talking about. We've got to be creative when we hunt solo. Now, I often have mixed feelings about turkey hunting solo because I enjoy sharing the spring turkey woods with an old friend or a soon-to-be new friend. But I also enjoy working birds by myself and for myself. And because I turkey hunt every day, I often find myself turkey hunting solo, which helps to satisfy that urge that I have to work birds by myself and for myself. Because my usual turkey hunting partners have young children and work obligations during the week. Solo turkey hunting is just like everything else that we do. The more often we do it, the more comfortable we feel doing it, and the better we become at it. Hunting solo for a new hunter can be a scary thought, but I don't want that to be how we think. I believe that if a new hunter has listened to a great number of these shows, then he or she can go solo into the turkey woods with confidence and a notebook and a pen. I really do think that's a great idea. And write down what works and doesn't work. And I really believe that soon that new hunter will be using that pen to validate a turkey tag. So for those new-ish turkey hunters listening, don't be afraid. Get out there in the turkey woods. Have fun. I'm going to say that one again. Have fun. Make smart, safe decisions. Don't be afraid to mess up, but be sure to learn from your mistakes. Okay, so that is all that I have for you guys this week. But before I let you go, can you help me with one thing? If you have not already done so, will you please leave a five-star rating and a review on your podcast player app? By doing that, you're helping people who stumble across this show decide whether or not they want to listen to it. And that's a huge help to me. So if you've gotten anything out of today's show, if you could leave me a five-star rating and a review. I would be very appreciative. Speaking of appreciation, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review.